Good evening. Um, thanks for coming. Tonight, as I, um, we're going to learn a discourse, a very special discourse. Uh, it's, it's on Hanukkah, and we just completed Hanukkah. But it's good, it's, even though it's on Hanukkah, it's good for all year long. So, um, and, I, and the truth is, uh, whoever was here um, two weeks ago, not, um, not this Monday night, last week Monday night, um, the class, which we didn't give out a CD from, was kind of a synopsis of this discourse. Um, so you might have heard already the bulk or the, the a lot of it, but uh, again, it's special and uh, I'd like to, to share it with you. This is from, oh, it's online, but it's not in a CD format. Um, this is from the Siddur of the uh, Alter Rebbe. We learn every week, we learn Torah Oer, or Lakuti Torah, That's the, and those are the more popular svarim that there are on the parsha from the Alter Rebbe. There's also another sefer called Siddur in Dach. We learned that we've done a mimer or two from these as well in the past. Siddur in Dach means it's a Siddur printed with, with um, discourses, Hasidic discourses, all attributed to the Alter Rebbe, written by his son, the Mittler Rebbe. The Alter Rebbe had many different writers who would write for him. His son wrote, also was one of the writers. His son had a particular style in writing, which you can see as the Mittler Rebbe's, it's more in an elaborate form, as the Mittler Rebbe always was all about elaboration. As we know in the attributes, the Mittler Rebbe, the, the son of, uh, of Rav Shneur Zalman, was considered the Bina compared to his father, who is the Chachma. And Chachma is a point, and Bina is a is a, an expansion, a full developed fleshing out something. So the, the style of the Mittler, so in his own memorandum, they're really, really long. In his father's memorandum, when he writes them down, he also has more of an elaborate style. Um, and this is in the Siddur, his, again, these are the Alter Rebbe's memorandum, recorded by the Mittler Rebbe, and then printed together with a Siddur, so when people daven, they have Hasidus to learn and then meditate in the davening. Part of those memorim are memorim that relate to the holidays, because the siddur takes us through the holidays too. When it comes to, you know, Hanukkah, you take out a siddur when you light the menorah. You want to know how to say Aneris Alalu with the blessings. So, in a Hasidic siddur, you have some not only the do's and the don'ts, you also are given some of the soul of the yantiv, the soul of the holiday. So, in the siddur Shar HaChanukah, there are a few discourses, and one of them begins with the words, Mizmar Shir Chanukah Sabayas Ladavid. Let us sing a song for the dedication of the house, Ladavid for King David. David HaMelech wrote a song. David HaMelech could not build the Beis HaMikdash. For whatever reason, uh, Hashem said to him that he, even though he wanted to build it so much, and he was the one who established uh, the city of Yerushalayim, and... Uh, so he could have built the base of Migdash. Hashem said to him that your hands are filled with blood. Uh, you fought wars. The base of Migdash is a place of peace. It's meant to bring peace in the world. It's meant to unify all of humanity and to, like it's going to be when Mashiach comes. And therefore, a man with blood in his hands cannot be the builder of the base of Migdash. Your son Shlomo, he is going to be an Ish Menucha. He's going to be a man of peace. Uh, in, his, in his lifetime, he won't have to wage any wars. Therefore, he's going to build the base of Migdash. 
David HaMelech, however, this is, is sadly, you know, if I can't build it, at least let me make whatever preparations for that building I want to do. And part of his preparations for the building of the base of English was he, comp he prepared the song that the, that the musicians and the choir would sing during the inauguration of the base of English. The first base of English was inaugurated in the month of Tishrei, on the eighth day of Tishrei, two days before Yom Kippur. And there was a seven-day inaugurational fe festival. And then from the seven days, they went immediately into, Suk into Sukkot. So that gave them 14 days of incredible celebration. And uh, during that time, they offered up like tons and tons of sacrifices as part of the inaugural, inaugural uh, uh, opening, opening, opening of the Beis Amigdash. And um, David HaMelech created a special song, a psalm, which was to be sung in the Beis Amigdash. And this is a psalm that we have today, Psalm 30, Mizmar Shir Chanukah Sabayis. We say that every day, it's so essential, we say it every day in our davening. Uh, after Hodu, we say Mizmar Shir. That's what this discourse deals with. Mizmar Shir Chanukah Sabayis Ladavid. This is on page 550. Um, a song for the inauguration of the temple, Ladavid, which is composed by King David. He says, Arei Mimcha Hashem Kidelisani. I will exalt you, God. I will elevate you, Hashem, because you have elevated me. In other words, I will sing your praises. I will speak of your greatness. I will exalt you, Hashem. Why? Because you have elevated me. And you have not allowed my enemies to rejoice over me. So what does that mean? Oh, so now he explains in Masha Omar, this that King David says. You have not made my enemies rejoice over me. Which enemies are we talking about? Now, we, the Jewish people, have no shortage of enemies. We have enough of those. And, 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 we, and throughout history, we say it in the Pesach, in the Haggadah, we say that, in every generation, they get up against us to wipe us, to annihilate us. And God saves us. So we have so many enemies. Which enemies are we talking about over here that King David says that you have not allowed our enemies to rejoice over us? So it's not, you know, uh, the, 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 the descendants of Yishmael like we're suffering from today. It's not the descendants of Esau that we were being persecuted by for thousands of years. It's not Amalek, it's not the Babylonians, it's not the, the Egyptians or going back to Lavan, who is considered the first arch enemy. We say in that God that he wanted to destroy us, he wanted to wipe everyone out. And it's not even, you know, Esav, Lavan, Esav, Nimrod, we're trying to figure out who this enemy is. It's way before that. Our first, our first enemy, who is the first and primal enemy of the Jewish people, believe it or not, it's the angels. The angels are the enemies. And why were they the enemies? They didn't want us to even be born to be created in the first place. So it's one thing that once we're existing, you know, someone wants to minimize our existence, diminish our existence. But if someone doesn't allow us to exist in the first place, that's our real enemy. So the malachim, the angels, were very d disappointed when God decided to create, or told them at least, God always knew he was going to create man. But when Hashem let the angels in on his plan, 
they really, really couldn't believe it. They were very disappointed and very upset because they thought that they're the ones who will realize the purpose of creation. And uh, they complained. They said, why are you creating the human? When David HaMelech built the base Amigdash, he said, now it ha God made his choice very clear. Where does he want to be? Who does he want to be in a relationship with? It's not the angels in heaven. Because it's the base Amigdash, it's with the human beings down here below. So David HaMelech says, now the angels are silent. Now that they made Hanukkah Sabayas, they inaugurated the base Amigdash, we have a home for Hashem in this world. Hashem has clearly demonstrated who he favors. So, when he said, you have not rejoiced my enemies on me, who are these enemies? These are the angels, that they have, they have, um, being makatrig, meaning they have um, argued, they have, uh, um, uh, there's another word, not, not, not like a prosecutor or a, uh, they have slandered or whatever, I don't know the right word. They have, no, they have brought accusations, that's what we're looking for. They have brought accusations, albriya Adam against the creation of man. When they said, what is the human being that you should pay him, give, him, give him attention? As it is known, as it is known, that there's the angels were saying to God, the human being is, 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 is someone you can't trust. He's a wishy-washy, being, he's a flimsy being, he's, he's not, you know, you can't, you can't get into a relationship with him. He's here today, he's out tomorrow. Um, the human being is going to sin. As it is known, in the, in, the, in the statements of the sages, where we see that the angels protested. They said, why create man? And then when the Jewish people sinned with the sin of the golden calf, so God went ahead and he didn't listen to them. He consulted with them and then he didn't listen to them. Which I like the way God consults. He first consults and then he does it his way anyways. So he consulted with the angels. They told him not to do it, but he did it anyways. So then afterwards what happened? Um, okay, man was making trouble. until And then finally, when God gave the Torah, again the angels piped up. And they said, I can't believe it. Well, it's one thing to create the human being. And other things, you can give them the Torah? It doesn't make any sense. So again, they wrestled with Moshe. And again, the old argument came up. How in the world do you entrust your Torah, something so great, with fickle, flighty, flighty human beings? How do you do that? And when the human beings, when the Jewish people sinned with the golden calf, 40 days after we received the Torah, we, 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 we sinned, and it wasn't like we messed up in a detail. We messed up in the second commandment or the first commandment. And this is 40 days later, like it was still under warranty. It wasn't like, it was just <laughs> like you can always return something within 30 days. It's like 40 days. And yet, what happens? So what are the angels doing? So at that moment, the angels in heaven were smirking. And they said, no, didn't we tell you? as he says, and when the Jewish people sinned with the sin of the eagle, the angels rejoiced because they say, ah, you see, we're right. Because they said, at the time of the giving of the Torah, they again accused the human being. When they said, they said, give your glory on heaven. Why are you giving it to human beings? Because what is the human that you should mention him? And then they were right. 
It's like when a person argues something and back and forth, and then, and then you say, you see, that's what the angels were doing. You see, you can't shachatu becheta egel because the Jews sinned with the sin of the golden calf. And after that, so after all of this, when it looks like the angels had a good argument and they were able to prove that they were right, and God would kind of say, you know what, you're right, I give in, I surrender. Uh, instead, what happened after that? The human beings built a mishkan. God said, make for me a sanctuary. And Hashem came down and he had forgiven us for the sin of the ego, the sin of the golden calf. When the Mishkan was erected, so the gold that the Jewish people gave for the Mishkan, that was an atonement on the gold that they made the golden calf. Kiddu as it is known. And therefore that shows that God still wants the human being, even though we're so wishy-washy. And we're so the Alkane, therefore, so when David Amelech established the permanent residence, he didn't establish, but he, when he was preparing, doing the, doing the preparatory work to prepare the building of the Beis HaMikdosh, and it is known, that the Mishkan and the Beis HaMikdosh are one entity. The Mishkan translates and becomes the Beis HaMikdosh. That's why he said, that's why he said at the Chanukah Sabayas, at the, at the dedication of the Beis HaMikdosh, he says, you have not made my enemies rejoice over me. Because the joy of the angels, the enemies, the arch enemy of the human being has then been, been, been in other words, they have been silenced they have been silenced forever. You see that God said, this is my choice. Because these malachim were the ones who accused. And they said, what is the human being? Okay. This is the simple meaning of this, the, the simple pshat of this, of this pasuk. It's interesting, he says it's the simple pshat. I didn't notice this. You see why you have to learn a mimer like four times. I've taught this mimer already a few times, both from inside and not inside, and I never noticed this line. This is the pshat of the Rashi because if I would have noticed it, I would have taken out a, a tehillim and looked in Rashi and see, does Rashi really say this, this is the enemies? When it says, you have not allowed my enemies to rejoice over me, it means, it means the angels, it's, it's a chiddush. But, but he says, this is the, the pshat, so I guess uh, we should look it up and, and, and see if that's really what it is. I mean, when he says pshat, is it pshat from a medrash or is it pshat from Rashi? I don't know. Achlahavin, however, to understand shayrish inyan the root of this, of this idea, of this, of this, um, of this uh, victory over the over the angels, of this demonstration with the base amigdash, to understand really what's going on, what's the argument over here? and what is the argument that the angels. Had their accusation, but Amram when they said Mo Enoish, what is the human being? What's God's answer? Hashem feels that the human being is superior. That's why He created the human, 
and makes the human being the focus of all of his creation. So obviously God says that the human being is superior to the angels. Now it doesn't seem that way, that humans are superior to the angels. Kidu as it is known. So we'll understand all of this by first prefacing, We need to have a deeper understanding of the main difference between souls and angels. So first he's going to talk about the difference between neshamas. When we say neshamas, we mean pure souls, souls in heaven, and angels and, and angels. Um, so he's not talking about human beings, souls when they come down here. He's talking about our souls when they exist in heaven. The souls versus the angels are as follows. The souls stem from, they come from the inner dimension of the worlds. They come from the inner core of the of, of the of the worlds. And the angels are considered part of the external aspect of existence. And the malachim, they are related to the more external part of the world. Kiyadu as it is known. What's the difference between Pneumius and Chitzainius? Innermost and external. The difference primarily is that the innermost is the energy, and the Chitzainius of something is the vessel. Oir and Keli, Oir is Pneumi, and Keli is Chitzain, external. So when we say the angels come from the Chitzainius of the Oilamais, it means that they are much more related to Kalim to vessels. And souls are pure energy. And that idea is going to explain over here that angels inherently have a body. They, 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 they exist only with a body. There's no such a thing as a soul of an angel without the body of the angel. They are born together, soul and body. They come into existence, soul and body together. We, the human beings, are not that way. We have a body but the body is a later, a later attachment. Our bodies become attached to our soul at, at any given time when Hashem decides to send the soul down. But our souls exist in heaven without, without bodies. And it seems to be a big, something wondrous. This that we find. Now, to prove this idea that the Jewish, that the souls are from the internal aspect of the world, which means they're pure energy. And the angels are from the external part of the world, and therefore they have, they're more body, there is more body to them. Um, he, he proves this from, we know that in, in, in the supernal, up there in heaven, everybody is singing. Song is a constant. Because life is music. And when you're alive, you sing. And if you're not singing, it means you're depressed. It's just the story. A person ought to be sings. When you're happy, you sing. There is a tune. Different types. There's a rhythm to life. And, and when we're kind of semi-depressed or down or half alive, not really alive, then we're not singing. Um, so, uh, angels are very much alive. They sing. Souls in heaven are also singing all the time. Yet we find something interesting. That the prophets describe the song of the, of the angels. They've heard the angels singing. They describe their song. We don't find anywhere that the prophets should describe that they heard the souls in heaven singing. If heaven is filled with two types of residents, souls and angels, and they're both singing, 
How come the prophets could only hear the angels singing and they can never hear the soul singing? And the answer is, when a spirit sings, you can't hear it. When a body sings, it can be heard. It creates sound waves. It's not sound waves that we hear because we're too coarse to hear the angels singing. But a prophet who has refined his, his, his or the prophet who has refined himself so much to be able to hear the most subtlest of subtlest things can hear the noise of the angels singing because there is some physicality to that. There are some physical vibrations. Oh, I mean, to us, we would call them metaphysical. But it, it, in, the, in the larger scope of things, it's really physical. It's just physicality in its most, in its most refined state. Angels create sound waves when they sing. Souls don't create sound waves because they're, they're so elegant souls that they're so fine, they, they don't have any substance to them. And therefore their music is also without substance, meaning without, not without content in that sense, without physical substance, without any, and therefore it can't be heard. And that, see from the music, he is deducing, he's, he's, he's proving the nature of the one who's creating the music. The more, the, the, the chunkier the, the, the being, the chunkier the music. So for instance, when you play music with musical instruments, since we're dealing with something that's very physical, a musical instrument, it creates a very strong sound vibration. And we really, really hear it. And the heavier it is, for example, drums, it's dealing with physical things banging against each other. So the rhythm, the, the, the bass is, is, is heard very loud. Right? And then there's other parts of music that are a little subtler than that. A human being singing is generally not as, not as overpowering and not as intense, so to speak, as the, as the musical instruments because the physicality is a little more refined. Okay? And as you go higher. Angels they too have a body, very, very refined, but their music is also music that creates a vibration. Let's read it inside. The it seems to be a great one. We find that the angels above say Shira, they sing songs, as it is known. And why don't we find by the Nishamis, Shayyim Rushira, that they should say Shira? Neshamas are also created, and every creature that is created has to think, sing to God who has created it. Like the angels, Kidu, as is known. And you cannot say that they, talk, they really don't sing. That the souls do not say Shira Klal. You say you can't. So maybe, maybe the reason no one ever spoke of souls uh, singing is because they don't sing. Maybe they don't sing. Maybe it's only an engine, a thing that the angels do. But it's a, but it's not a thing. That, it's not a, it's not something that souls do. He says you can't say that. It is known the idea of a song, because in the song that he is he, meaning any any spiritual being says, the way the, in which any spiritual being moves. From one level to another level. And in heaven, everything, everybody's moving. Everybody's on the move. Because no one is stagnating. Because there's so, there's so much to explore. 
if our physical universe is immense and almost and we, we think it's endless, it's nothing compared to heaven. It's on and on and on and on. And it's so exciting. Wherever you are, there's always something else to see. Something even more magnificent. So everybody's on the move, everybody's exploring. But how do you move from one place to the next place? Well, you move through song. Because the song is, expresses the longing, the excitement, the passion, the fervor. It's the energy of that, of that movement. As it's expressed. Song is movement. And we know when we sing, for instance, song takes us to a different place. Song literally has a deep impact in moving us. It moves us from, from into, a, into a more elevated, depends what kind of song. Sometimes song can drag a person down to a very dark place, a very, a very, a very unholy place, uh, a very whatever. A, a song can, song, you know, music transports us. And good music, spiritual music, holy music, Hasidic music, like a real Hasidic niggin, what does it do to a person? It elevates your soul and it puts you in a, in a, in a, in a, that's why you have people that have, you know, stories where you have a person who's been alienated from his Yiddishkeit for all his life and then he hears a song and the song suddenly reminds him of his youth. He hasn't remembered, he remembers his Bubby's house. He's 95 years old and suddenly it all comes back to him because he hears a song. It's what song does. So in heaven, the same thing. The malachim move from level to level through song, and the same is also neshamis. Since neshamis are always going higher in Gan Eden, they have to go through song. So as he says, we go from level to level, to a higher level, as stated in Sefer Lekutei Amarim Hagadol. That's referring to Natanya. It's referring to the book, the Sefer of the Magid, Mizritra Magid. There is a Mishnah that says, In Tractate Shabbos, there is a Mishnah that speaks about people, the animals that have... Um, the, the law in regards to Shabbos is that you're not allowed to, we know we're not, allowed to, we're not allowed to carry. One of the things we're not allowed to do on Shabbos is you're not allowed to carry in a public domain. Unless there is an Erev, then it's not a public domain. But like this, you're not allowed to carry in a public domain. Not only is a person, however, it's not only a person is not allowed to do work for himself, he's also not allowed to have his animal do work for him. So if you want to carry something, right, if you want to carry a pot of chalent across the street, you can't put it on the cow and then have the cow walk it across the street because you're ca causing the cow to do work for you. That's the law. Um, now, the Mishnah says that there are certain things that if a cow goes into a public domain carrying it, it's not called carrying. And that is if the cow wears a ring and the ring is needed so that you can put a leash on it or whatever, so the, say, so the sages say that's considered part of the clothing, so to speak. Just like a human wears clothing, the animal also has certain things that are part of the animal. And therefore, the ring is not considered, so the Mishnah says, kol bale ashir, all creatures that have this ring, yaitzen bashir can go out with the ring and you can pull them in from the street into the private domain also with their shear, with their song. I'm sorry, with their shear, with their ring. So the, the, the Mizritcha Magid, the Rebbe of the Alter Rebbe, says that it has a deeper meaning. Kol Bale Ashir doesn't mean just animals in the physical world because every Mishnah also has a soul, a spiritual interpretation. It means all entities of song 
Who are the entities of song? Angels and souls, they're all entities of song. What does the song do for them? Yoitzim Bashir. They go out, they exit their state of consciousness. They exit their, 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 their awareness, wherever they are, the nimshachen, and they're pulled up to a higher world, to a higher realm through song. So he's reading the word shir. Shir can mean a ring, and shir can also mean song. So, we, so he, he explains. So the Mishnah says, kol bala shir yoitzim b'shir v'nimshachen b'shir, piddish, meaning sheyoitzim, that the, the, the souls in heaven, shaholchen michayel elchayel, they go from strength to strength, from level to level. As it says, they go from strength to strength, which means that in heaven, everybody, as we said earlier, everybody's on the move. Everybody's going. What does it mean? Where are they going? From one chamber of Gan Eden to another chamber in Gan Eden. Right? Higher and higher. To a higher paradise, to a higher... And for instance, or like an example, from the lower, the lower Ganeiden, the Ganeiden, the Elyon, to a higher Ganeiden. When do we go from? When do Neshamis go from level to level? The Chol Chodesh, every Rosh Chodesh, all the souls happen through the elevator and they move from level to level. The Shabbos, and every Shabbos they are elevated. Shabbos is a time of Aliyah Sa'olamos, the world's rise. As it says, it will be every Chodesh and every Shabbos. All flesh will come to bow down before me. What does that mean? All flesh is referring to all souls. All creatures, all spiritual beings, every Shabbos and every Rosh Chodesh, everybody comes closer to me. That means everybody rises to a higher world. As it is known, It is a constant, it is always that the souls go up they ascend and they descend. From world to world. They never have rest. They're always moving somewhere higher. It's always. And particularly on Shabbos and on Yom Tiv. And how? What carries them from level to level? And their elevation. They go through this pillar. How do you go from Ganeidin to Ganeidin? You go through, the, obviously this is not physical because there's no physicality there, but there is this pillar that through, they go, th- they go, they go through this pillar from, wor- from world to world, from Ganeiden to Ganeiden. And then they go from the highest Ganeiden, there are Neshamas that are in the very high Ganeidens, and they even go higher than the whole realm of paradise. They enter into the world of unity, the world of Atzilus. And when they enter into that world, what happens to those neshamas, those souls? They become completely absorbed in God Himself, in the unity of Hashem. See, when you're in Gan Eden, you're in a world, you're in a reality that leaves room for other, something other than Hashem to exist. Gan Eden is a place in which God's, one can, marvel, one can be a somebody and marvel at God's greatness. But once you go higher than Gan Eden, you're entering into a, a zone where nothing exists besides Hashem. Well, there are some neshamas that are that are moving past past a state of a state of a state of a state of beingness, a state of creation, and they move into pre-creation state. They move in, and that's called it says the Malach Michael. See, what does the Alter Rebbe want to do over here? He's showing you how everybody is moving. If you're in a lower Ganeid, in a higher Ganeid, in a higher Ganeid, in a higher Ganeid, and what and what happens all the way at the very very top? 
Well, there's a certain point where you ascend Ganeden completely and enter into absolute consciousness, and which means complete dissolving into Hashem. That's why it says there is a Malach called Malach Michael, and his job is, or one of the things he does, he offers the souls of Tzadikim on the Mizbeach. That sounds like a frightening thing. Does it mean what is he, he's, he's, he's shechting the souls? No, he's allowing, he helps the souls be consumed in God's truth, in Hashem's emes. And as it says, that Michael offers up the souls on the Mizbeach. As it is stated in the writings of the Kabbalists. Since we have to say, once we have to say that souls also say Shira when they ascend as we said earlier, why don't we have find a place? Why don't we find two things? We don't know what they say. And we don't know anywhere where it says that they say anything, that they're singing Shira Tashem. And what is the song that the Malachim are singing? And by the angels, it does say what song they're singing. As it is known. The, uh, the idea is, the Be'emes, in truth, also Neshamis say Shira. The song of souls cannot be heard. But the song of the angels, we can hear them. See, after the Alter Rebbe has established that we have to say that Neshamis are also singing, souls are also singing, now he says, they're singing, but no one can hear it. That's why it hasn't been spoken and related to us, because we can't hear their song. The song of the Malachim Nishmas. It's heard. It is a sound that can be sensed. And like the Prophet says, the Eshema, and I heard behind me, a sound of a great tumult. I heard a great commotion. He hears it. He hears a commotion. The Navi heard the song of the angels. He can sense, he can hear, it's a, he heard the vibrations, their sound. Another thing it says by the angels, that when they flap their wings, obviously their wings are not physical that, as we know, but yet when they flap their wings, it sounds like the mighty oceans. And the sound of their wings, like the sound of, of oceans. Even though he says, let's understand, when he compares it to the oceans, it has a great mystical meaning as well. That when he compares it to the waters, the sound of, of a lot of water, it means more than just a physical sound. There's something very deep. Yeduah is known to those who know the Kabbalistic, the secret, the, the esoteric teachings. However you want to interpret it, the Pasuk has also a simple meaning. When the Malachim sing, you can sense the voice, the sound, and a great commotion and a great powerful sound. Which is not, and as I mentioned in the other class on the other night when I really gave the synopsis of this, that it's quite possible and it would not be foreign to me to believe that with the modern devices that we are creating in today's days, 
that were not too far off, in which they, you know, today's days they say they're sounds of the universe. And they're trying, they, they have these uh, things that are being able to pick up sounds that are in the universe. So what are these sounds in the universe? It's quite feasible to me that one day with a, with a, with, with, with a very fine device that can pick up on the most subtlest of subtlest, we might be able to tune in to the angels singing and listen to it on channel whatever, on FM uh, somewhere. Masha'enke will be pretty nice. Masha'enke in It's possible. I'm not sure about that. Because what is he saying? There is a physics, because especially based on what he's going to say in a few minutes, we're going to get to, is the reason why they have sound to their music is because there is a subtle physicality to the angels. Which isn't the case with Neshamis. There isn't in their song. There is no sound, there is no voice when Neshamis are singing. What is the reason? How come the angels are giving off vibrations when they sing and souls don't give off vibrations? In a Ikr Inyan Hu, the main reason is the Fishamalachim Yashlahem Gufim Khumriyam. Surprise! The angels have a body. They have a, they have a, a, a corporal body. Alkain Shir Shalahem Nishma. That's why their song is heard. Bahar Gasha, that you can sense it. Mashenkin Anishamis, which is in the case with Nishamis, Sha'in Lahem Gufim Khumriyam. Nishamis don't have any physical. Souls in heaven don't have any body. Souls are pure spirit. Like Malachim, Alkain, therefore, Shir Shalahem, Einoi Nishma, Bargasha. Their song is not heard, Bargasha, that you can hear it. But what's the body of the Malachim? The Inyan Agufim Shalom Malachim, and what's the body of the Malachim? Mezut Mevur, Besefer Agamullah Rambam. It is explained in the book of, of reward of the Nachmanides, the Ramban. He writes a reward, he writes a book about the afterlife. And over there he explains about angels. And he explains that they have bodies. What kind of bodies do they have? Shaguf shalahem, that their bodies, humurkav is a combination, it is, it is a composite, from the element of fire and the element of wind. Angels have a body, their bodies are made out of wind and fire. They don't have the four elements, which are earth and water. You see, from the four elements, the most physical of them is earth. Water is also quite physical and has more of a substance. Wind and, 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 um, and fire are subtler, right? more of a subtle nature. Now, so angels are made up only of two. Their bodies only are made up of those two elements. But let's not get too comfortable with the angels. Because it's not that they're like us, they're just a little, no. They're, they're, even their wind and their fire is not the wind and fire that we know. It's wind and fire in its purest, in its purest, most refined, original state. Before it comes down and becomes coarsened in the physical, our physicality. We live in a very coarse physicality. This is physicality in its finest, which we can't even see. And those, the fire and the wind of the angel is not visible to our eyes. Because we know angels are always probably passing, angels are passing by all the time. They don't like coming over here in our shul because we usually don't speak so highly of them. We, we make the, uh, so they, they, but angels could pass 
and and uh, yet you wouldn't notice them, I wouldn't notice them, because we don't have the eyes to see them. A tzaddik, uh, quite possible, can see a malach as it's because it's uh, right? um, but he says even though we usually don't see them because they are physical he's going to say it a couple and we're going to see soon they they sometimes like by Avram Avinu they can whatever who, their physicality can get denser and as soon as it gets denser ordi human, uh, ordinary human eyes can, can, can see them uh, you say Avram Avinu didn't have ordinary human eyes. True, but it applies from the Torah that the people that he saw were visible to everyone else. Right? It's not just him that saw them. Okay? So let's see what, uh, as he says, Shalaham umurkiv mi yisoyda eish, from the element of fire, vi yisoyda ruach apshutim, ayin sham. And this is what it says in the Pasuk, oisam Allah of ruchais. Now this is the Ramban, Nachmanides, bases it on a verse. It says, Hashem makes his angels ruchais spirits, Misharsav, his attendants, Eish Loyet, are flaming fire. So you see it refers to the angels as beings of fire and wind. And here is where, the altar, where he says, don't think that this means physical wind and physical fire. When we're talking about fire, we mean the root of the element of fire. The Yisoy Ruach and the element of wind. Hagashmiyam. As they are still above, higher than our physical world that we have. It's from this subtle wind and fire that creates the body, the spiritual body of the angel. And he, oh, now, let's understand, the angel doesn't only have a body, he also has a spirit, he also has a nefesh, he has an intellectual soul. And that's the image, that's like the soul of the angel. Similar to the intellectual soul. Just like a human being. We have a body and we have a spirit. So an angel also has a spirit. And that's why. But, okay, he has that. But his body and his spirit are always joined together. There is no separation between them. If, if you separate them, both of them stopped existing. The body of the angel won't exist, and the soul. You don't ever have angels that they die, their soul, their spirit goes away, and their bodies are whatever, buried somewhere. You don't have that. It doesn't exist. Because the moment the angel's soul stops or leaves the body, then every, it, the, the angel completely is disintegrates. There's no body without soul, a soul without body. And now, and this idea that angels have a body will also explain why the sages speak about the size of an angel. They never talk about the size of a soul. Because souls can't be measured by size. Because so souls don't have any physicality at all. That you should be able to measure them in terms of spatial dimensions. Angels are super humongous. They're like crazy large, as he sees. What, what, their, their size, their energy, their power. But we still speak of certain measurements of them. We speak about the midah, the measurement of a malach. That it's a distance of 500 years. And then there is another malach. There is a malach that occupies a third of the world. And then if the malach is only a third of the world, what does it mean? So then it's 166 and two-thirds. 
Because if the world, the size, again, the Gemara talks about from here to the heaven is 500 years, whatever that means. So two-thirds of that, or I'm sorry, a third of that is 166 and two-thirds. Now, since the body of the angel is has has is within the dimension, exists within space, um, that's why he has a measurement and how much space in the world he occupies. The and therefore he's also time bound, because whenever there is space, there is also time, because time and space are are essentially connected, inherently connected. The Yiduah is known that time and space are connected. Just like God created space in six directions, up, down, and the four directions which make up the idea, the phenomenon of space, time also is something that came into existence. Neshava bebchenas nivra is also a creation. Mechudash. Ikiduah is known be'inyan oylem shana nefesh as it is known in the concept of a sefi yetzira. There's something called olam, which means world. Shana, which means year. And nefesh means soul. Olam and shana are time and space. V'im kein and if so, ma'ach harsha ha'malach yesh lo'geder b'mokim gashmi. Since a malach has some kind of a physical spatial cont- uh, um, existence, so we have to say, that angels also live within time. So, for like we say, 500 years. Since they live in time and space, that's why when they sing, we can also hear their song, we can see it, it's visible, Veniglis, it's revealed, Bekoil Murgash, and a sound that you can hear, literally they create vibrations. is This comes from the body of the angel, Shatifis Makim that occupies space. And how much can you feel the vibrations of the angels? Because angel of their song, because um, 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 there's different different types of angels. So it is so the more refined a malach is, the less physical, the more his body is from a higher dimension, and therefore less, less dense, the song is less heard. The, 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 the noisy angels that we, that, we, that we can hear, but that the prophets were able to hear, these are the very clunky, clanky angels. And why are they so clunky and clanky? Because they have more substance to their bodies. But the angels that are higher have less, you hear their music less and less and less and less until you get to the most sub- sublime angels where their song is very, very refined and probably no one hears them. But they still have some kind of physical vibration. Until you get to Nishamis where there's no physicality at all. And it would be similar to a person singing a song in thought. When you sing in your thought, no one hears it. Because... Even though thought, by the way, just an interesting idea, even though thought does also create waves. Just like speech creates waves, speech creates more, you know, higher, higher, what was it, what's the right word? Higher frequency waves, and thoughts create very subtle waves. But we see that tzaddikim can know what a person is thinking, because tzaddikim have the, the ability to, 
pick up on the most subtleties of subtleties. So the erech in yanar erech hagshama. The amount of how much are you going to sense what the 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 the, the uh, sense of the is it's all dependent on on the hargasha, on hakshama, on how physical the angel is. How dense their body is. And and and, and it's so far that angels are able to come down into a state where they can literally be seen to the physical physical eye. Like in a physical body that you can see in this physical world. Like the three angels that revealed themselves to Avram, it's supposed to be in the tzura, in the image of men. Mamish, literally, they look like people. They can be seen to the eyes of physical flesh. Like it says, it says that he saw and there were three angels standing over him. Which isn't the case with the souls. The souls are not enclosed in any physical encasement. Even from fire and wind, and even from the finest fire of wind. What is a soul? Aneshama is an intellectual. It's an intellectual being. It's a pure intellect. It's a pure intelligence without any substance. Mufshetes, it is, Mufshetes means it is undressed, it is, it is, it is um, abstracted. From what? Mikol Geshem Choymer, from any physicality. It's a pure spirit without any physical. Similar to the, to the intellectual soul of a person down below. The Neshama up there is pure spirit. And therefore, that's why the song of the souls are not sensed at all. It is a pure spiritual understanding. And even though the neshamis are also singing, when the neshamis go up from paradise to paradise, canal, of course they are ascending through song. Like we said before, it's not creating a vibration that anybody can hear. It's similar. If someone is singing a song in their thought, that a person is just singing it in his thought. And similar to this, like it's stated elsewhere, and it is enough to those who understand. Now, do we ever mention souls singing? Okay, so we know angels sing, and they're noisy. Souls sing, and they're very, very elegant. Do we ever mention this, that souls are singing? So he says, yes, we do. In Shmona Esrei, not explicitly, because it's a very subtle thing. So even when we mention it, we mention it subtly. In, 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 in the Kedusha that we say in Shmona Esrei, by the repetition of Shmona Esrei, when we say Kedusha, we speak about the shear of the Malachim. We say, they say, Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh. After we finish Kedusha, what do we continue with? The Chazan continues with the, with the Bracha, Atta Kadosh, Veshimcha Kadosh, you are holy, and your name is holy. And then he says this statement, Ukedoshim Bechol Yoim, and the holy ones, every day, Yalalu Chasela, they will praise you eternally. The holy ones 
will forever praise you. Who are the holy ones? That are, we, it can't be the angels, because we've already discussed the, the angel singing. So who are these holy ones that we're talking about now? And he says, these are the malah, these are the neshamas. After we've discussed the song of the angels, we, we speak on a higher level, and we talk about the song of the, of the malach. They praise you all the time. So he says, first of all, we say that these holy ones sing Selah. Selah means all the time. Forever and ever and ever. Angels don't sing all the time. The reason they don't sing all the time is because we said before, angels are time bound and space bound. Because of that, there is a time to sing, a time to not sing. So there is on and off. We know there is a zman. And the time these angels sing, and then these groups sing, it's not all the time. Malach and Nishamis don't exist within time and space. And therefore, their song is, you say always, for lack of a better term. Because always, always also refers to time. But it's not time, it just is. Neshamis are in a state of song. When? For all eternity. Forever and ever and ever because it comes in space and in time. Because they have a body. And it's interesting. The type of song that they sing is also indicating on their relating to a godliness that relates to time and space. Because since they are residents of time and space, they sing to a God that is also, is also related to time and space. And we see that in their song. Kadosh means He is above. Baruch means, Baruch means He is blessed, which means He is drawn down. So Kadosh means He's like, He's above, but yet he's close, Baruch. And then Yimloch means he's very involved in the world. Because Yimloch, God, you should reign. Yimloch Hashem la'olam, Hashem should reign over the world. So even when they speak of transcendence, they're not really experiencing God's true transcendence. They're experiencing God's transcendence in relationship to, to the world. That's why they say, Kadosh Baruch ve'yimloch shezem moiral inyan ha-kedusha she'bebchenazman. It's Kedusha that's related to time. But the song of the souls, the kedusha of the souls. Since they don't have any body at all, and they are, they are transcending all physical any anything, and they even transcend time and space. That's why we say about them, the true holy ones. Bechol yoyim, all the time, pirish ukedoshem hananashamis, these are the souls. Shekdushasam lamailam abchenazman, their holiness is completely beyond time, umakayim and space. Betam she'ain lahem keli, they don't have a vessel, guf chumri of a physical body. Lekach bechol yoyim, all time, ubechol zman, and bechol yoyim every day, ubechol zman at all time. Yahalalucha, they praise you forever. She'ain loyim rebehem inyan zman, we can't spay about them time. Let him reign. Let the say. They praise you. They're completely beyond time. 
They praise you eternally. Whenever it says Sela, it means forever and ever. It never stops. This is something eternal. Because we said earlier, there's no vessel. Okay. Once he explained this, now he's going to, now let's go back to the angels versus the human being. And what the Malachim were arguing when they said, God, give the Torah in heaven. Don't give the Torah to earth. So what the angels were complaining were as follows. And they were saying, Who is this human being? Why are you obsessed with this human? We don't get this about the human. Their their taina, their complaint, their argument is coming in one of two manners. They're saying to God, either or. God, if you like transcendence, if you like lightweight, if you like things that are not chunky and heavy and stuck in themselves, but you like free energy that's totally free and endless and boundless and not, not restricted by anything, then you got souls in heaven. They're perfect. They're pure energy, pure light, pure infinite light. So if you want to re- communicate with someone, do it with the souls. If that doesn't satisfy your desire, because you're attracted to the opposite of yourself, you want something that is, you want a container, you want a limitation, you want a body, well, we have bodies. We have bodies. We have, we have containers. And why? And then, if you want to be in a in a in a relationship, then 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 have it have that relationship with us. Why doesn't our body suffice? If you want their bodies, the human body, the problem with the human being is that body is so coarse, they're so 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 um, so dense, they don't feel you at all. And because they don't feel you at all, you can't have a consistent, reliable relationship with them. Because they're, as we mentioned earlier, they're fickle, they're they're flighty, they're 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 not they're not reliable. What's the point of it? If if what you want to have is what we call in Hasid is dira betachtainim, you want to have a dwelling place in the low. You want to go. You want to have a relationship with someone that has a, a vessel, a container. Then then we have containers. And if you don't want any containers, good. So be connected to souls in heaven. Why do you, why why what's the benefit of a human being? That's the question. Im Ratzin Hashem, if Hashem's Ratzin is, we're going on to the top of the second column on page Reish Ayin Vav. Im Ratzin Hashem, Sheyidir Rasei Betachtoyin, Mibchenaz Keli Dafka. If what you want is a vessel, Halo Yoyse Toiv, Sheyitin Hoidei Aleim, then give your glory upon them. Shehem Bibchenaz Kli, Choymer Gufni, they have a body. Kenal, Vilama Yifcher Ba'adam, why should he want a human being? Now, even though the human being also has a vessel, a physical container, the body of the human being is very coarse. But their, their bodies are manageable. Even though they exist within space, they have a very, very pure body. They don't have rebellious bodies. They don't have bodies that are going to have all these hang-ups and all these whatever. The angels are just glowing. This is, And if you don't want a vessel, then definitely don't choose the human being. 
establish a relationship with the souls in heaven. Which are completely beyond the vessel of a body. They have a strong argument. What benefit do you get from the human? That you should, you should remember it. It should be enough of the enclosement in, in, in their bodies. Either it's enough, our body should, should suffice, or you don't need anybody. What's the human being have to offer? What does the human being have to offer you, God, that we cannot provide? The us heavenly beings, either us or the souls, but one of us can provide definitely what you need. Why will you want a human being that you can't even trust? So what's the answer? So you, Van Bahagdam Tchila, will understand this by first prefacing. The Beis Amigdosh is the answer to their, to their complaint. There is something so beautiful and so magnificent that would happen in the Beis Amigdosh that what happens over there cannot happen with angels in heaven. And when, and when, and when the Beis Amigdosh was put up, and, and, and King David was, was David HaMelech was singing about the Beis Amigdosh, he said, take a look what's happening over there. And when, the, and when you see that, you know that the, humans being, the human being wins hands down. The angels in heaven could have never provided this. And that's what he says, You did not allow my enemies, which are the angels, to rejoice. You finally, finally have proven what your, what your desire is and what gives you pleasure. For behold, it says in the Pasuk, You should make for me a base on Migdash, and I will dwell in them. Which is an interesting puzzle. It says, make a base on Migdash, but it doesn't say, I will dwell in the base on Migdash. It says, make a base on Migdash, but I will dwell in them. That means God's desirable place to dwell is not in the base on Migdash. God wants to dwell in us. But we're, what's the setting? What's the setting? In what setting can God dwell in us? In the Beis Amigdash. That means that in the Beis Amigdash there are two components. There is the Beis Amigdash itself, the temple, and there is the Jewish soul, the Jewish, the Jewish person. When there is a Beis Amigdash, Hashem dwells in the person. The Yeduah is known, Maimer is all, what Chazal say, it doesn't say in him, in them. Two things together. Al Yedei Yisrael through Jews. Al Yedei Makam Beis Amigdash in the place of the Beis Amigdash. Shal Yedei Akarbonais through the Karbonais that were offered. Al Yedei Avoidai Shenasu Beis Amigdash and through the services that were done in the in the Temple. Sharsa Hashchina Be Yisrael. That's when the Shchina dwelled amongst the Jewish people. Tzadach Liyashneim Davka. You need to have both together. Gam Bechinas Ha'Arav Amnakin. Now, number one. Second thing is, this Beis HaMikdash we don't have today, but in some small measure we also have it today. In every shul. Every shul has something of the Beis HaMikdash. When we go to it to a shul, there is at least a minute, a little bit of the Shachanti B'Saycham that God can dwell inside of us. 
and also a little bit of this samshacha shahoisa be beis amigdash that wasn't the beis amigdash nimshacha v'nespashta gam begolus yisrael even when the Jewish people are in exile acharachur bin after the destruction of the temple b'chol batik nesiyosa batimet rashais in every house of prayer or house of study shem spalalim sham that they pray over there like it says in the verse I will be for them for a small a small base amigdash in the lands where they will come over there which means in the base or in the base amedrish can you do as it is known who and the reason is Mishum, here's a beautiful thing. Because when ten Jews get together, and they pray, so the Shechina dwells, God dwells, is there for ten people. And for prayer, we need to have ten. But it's not enough. It's not just enough to have ten Jews. It's ten Jews in a designated shul, in a designated house of worship. It's the, it's, the, it's the mechanism of these two things coming together. Jews and a holy place, that's where God can dwell. Over there we will have a semi-mishkan and migdash. And that means a little tiny bit. From that radiance and that revelation, Shahoya Bebesa Migdash that was in the Besa Migdash. As it says, And I will be for them for a small Besa Migdash, So let's understand what is this. So, what is this unique dynamite? Jew and base and a shul bring them together, and there's something so beautiful. And something no, so magnificent happening over there that God can't resist. And not only that, for that, for what, for what that provides Hashem with, he's, he forgoes and he dismisses the angels. He dismisses the souls in heaven as well. It's not them that he's interested in. It's not the angels above. It's Dafka, the human being down here. There's something so beautiful and happening in the Beis Amigdash, or in some minor way, in our little base amigdashes that we have today. So what is that? We need to understand, we're beginning now, the second uh, 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 paragraph of the discourse. We need to understand, first of all, number one, first of all, how does that happen? That that radiance of that light expands into a shul. In the Beis Amigdash, God was revealed. You saw miracles. In a shul, we don't see miracles. <laughs> but the idea is as follows. By first prefacing, that which we say when we pray, when we daven Musaf, we say like this. In davening of Musaf, we say, we, 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 we say, we speak about, this is on, whenever there is an added prayer called Musaf on the three, on, on all the holidays, the three pilgrimage holidays, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, we make a statement. We say, look, Hashem, we're in pain. 
It, the situation is not good. We don't have a base amigdash. We're not able to go up to see you and to bow down before you. Like we would have done had the base amigdash been standing. It's a holiday. It's time to go up. Now we cannot go up. Because the hand, because the hand that was laid on your temple. Which hand? Well, next week we're going to have the Asara Beteves when the king of Nebuchadnezzar destroyed the first temple. Hopefully it's going to be turned already into a Yantiv. So, so, um, so we say we can't go to bow down before you. He asks a very simple question. What do you mean you can't? I understand I can't go up. Because you might get stoned if you go up to the Temple Mount. Uh, it's hard to go up there now. We can't go. And for most of our exile, it wasn't even a dream that we couldn't go. We say we can't see. Of course, if you can't go, you can't see God. Because in the Beis Amigdash is where you see Hashem, where you see Godliness. But why do we say we can't bow down? Why can't we bow down? You can bow down. Bow down. That's his question. Bow down. Bow. Wherever you are, bow down. You, you, you want to bow? Bow. Oh, I can't go and see. Simply it means I can't go and see you and bow down where I see you. Okay, so don't, don't bow where you see, but bow wherever you are. To go up and to see. We're not able to do that in the time of exile. Because he says the reason. Because of the hand that was stretched out in your Beis Why can't we bow down now as well? Anywhere where Jews are, bow. What's the problem? You'll say, you're not bowing to God? You are. God is everywhere. His glory fills the entire earth. And even though we don't have that revealed radiance of God like there was in the Beis HaMikdash, is it because of this? We can't bow. And not all, why not? Bow. And more than, even more than that, we do bow. And not only do we bow, we say it every day. We kneel and we bow down by prayer. And even if you're going to argue it's not a full bowing, because we only bow a little, well, on Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur we bow all the way, we go down on the floor. So, so then what's the meaning we can't bow? So he says, okay, bowing over here means we say we can't bow. Of course, we can go through the motions and we can bend our knees. And we can get down, or we can kneel to the ground. We can even go all the way down. But bowing is much more than that. We're talking about the internal element of the bow. The external part of the bow, going down, we can do. Not only that. Not only can we do the external bow, we can even do a... a we can bow robotically without any thought, for sure. We can also bow meaningfully. Where our bowing means, I am surrendering. What does bowing mean? When you're bowing, you're conveying, you're making a statement. What's the statement you're making? You're making a statement of surrender. I am surrendering to you. That's the bow. Even animals, when they have a fight, one with the other, and one of them wins the, the territory fight, the other one bows down. So even snakes, they have their fights, and the snake will bow its head. So if it's in the animals, it's by the humans. It means you're, you're surrendering, you're acknowledging defeat. 
So we can do the same with God as we bow down and we're saying, Hashem, you win. It's going to be your way. I have different opinions. I have different ideas. I have different wants. I have all kinds of things I want to do this afternoon. But I know you want me to do something else. I'm going to do what you want, not what I want. And that's what bowing means. And that we're fully capable of doing. But that's not the way we bowed when we came to the Beis Amigdash. When we came to the Beis Amigdash and we bowed down, we stopped existing. Or rather, we were, our existence was integrated into God's existence. We were totally assimilated into Hashem, as he's going to explain. That kind of experience, we cannot have today. Because to become absorbed in Hashem's truth, you can only do that if Hashem projects His truth into your soul. And that was happening only in the temple where God was projecting. Everywhere else Hashem is not projecting. Hashem is, but He's silent. He's quiet. But in the Beis Amigdash, God was projecting. So when, the, when you had these two things together, when God is projecting and you walk in, and as He's going to describe in such beautiful words, when we walked in and we started going down on the three pilgrimage holidays, every Jew had to come in, bring a sacrifice, and then bow. As soon as you started making that bow, you were overtaken with a powerful, a powerful awareness of God that was so intense and so strong that you lost all sense of beingness completely and it became crystal clear, absolute and conspicuous in your mind and in every fiber of your being that God is reality and aside from Him nothing exists. You had a moment, a sobering moment of truth. You saw things from God's perspective, how He sees that He is the only reality. How long did you stay there? As long as you wanted to stay on the floor. As soon as you woke up and you got up, you kind of like were still in a daze and you came out of it and you returned to your kind of creation consciousness. And it lingered, but again, you were still in semi, uh, you know, state until you left the Beis Amigdash. You went back home and you were like kind of <coughs> still mesmerized by what you experienced. But one thing is for sure, it left a powerful imprint in your consciousness that Hashem is for real. He's for real, for real, for real. And it impacted all of our decisions we made for the next long period of time. And the moment it started wearing off after a couple of months, guess what? It's time to go back to the Beis HaMikdash and bow again. And when you bow again, it was deja vu all over again. Back into that experience, back into that truth, back into that. That, that type of bowing is something that we don't have today. We can speak about God. God is a nice idea. He's wonderful this. But real, like that reality, we don't have it because we, here's the thing, we can't bring ourselves into that consciousness. Even if we meditate and concentrate from today till tomorrow, we can never bring ourselves to the sharpness of that awareness on our own. It requires Hashem to, to make Himself known to our soul. And He only did that in the Beis so that's what we say. Since we can't go up, that's why we can't see. And what does seeing mean? That truth is seen by your soul. And when you can't see, you can't bow. Because this bowing, this MS diga bow, is not applicable to us. So let's read it inside. There's two types of bowing. One of them is an external bow. Means you're surrendering. Chitzainis, an external surrender. Lahashpil, roishoi, bilvad. 
you bow down your head. You say, you're stronger than me. You're more powerful than me. But I'm still me. You're, you're, you're. And even though we're talking about real surrender, we're not talking with just a, a physical movement that is meaningless. Bowing our head means I'm accepting upon myself the yoke of heaven, to do my service, and not to depart from Hashem's mitzvahs. Nevertheless, even though we mean it serious, it's a bowing, but it's only impacting us, the external part of our soul. It's not, we're not dissolving inward, inwardly in the inside. Externally, in other words, in regards to our behavior, I will behave in a surrendered state. But in terms of, of, of who I am, I am very much me. Just like a servant surrenders himself to his master, in front of his master, He's, he, he surrenders his body alone. It means he hires, he's almost like he's, he's, he's renting out his body to, to the master and saying, you know what, I am here for you to do the work with my body. But me, I, I, I have my own self and my own wants. And, 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 and if I would have it my way, I would, be, uh, I would be playing pool right now. I don't want to be here doing it. I mean, I have a self. But in his inside of his nefesh, we turn over the page. He did not um, surrender himself at all. He didn't nullify any of his own desires. That's in his soul. At all. And he, and, and, and he can have a desire, umachshava, and a thought, and he wishes and he hopes that his, his master would get sick for a few days, and so things will lighten up because he's in bed and he can't watch over them or whatever, or he would go out of town. He's hoping that. Uh, because he's an entity unto himself. But what does it mean to bow down in, internally? Your soul is bowing. Your soul, one's complete consciousness of self is, is nullified. He nullifies his soul internally, Shabbat. To the point where I have no other desire. There's nothing left. There's no me left. One um, nullifies every one of his wills. In front of God's will. The sages say two things in Pirkeyavas. One of them is, make your will like his will. They say, nullify your will in front of his will. Mean become willless. I have no other will. It's only what you want, God. That's my only will. You shouldn't have another desire. The only way, see, if you are, if, if, if we experience ourselves as as legitimate beings, there's no way that we don't have a desire. If I am, I want. That's it. It, it follows. I am, I want. The only way not to have any want is when, I, is when I am not. In other words, if God is my reality, then there's no desires of mine. It's only His. So, to him alone, nothing else aside from that. Like it says, who is to me in the heavens? And that which is with you, I don't desire in the earth. 
That's what King David said. This is called internal bowing. The nullification of self completely. This is called the internal bit. It is known, and here he says how that happened in the base of English. The whole Iker mitzvah saria, the main mitzvah of coming to the base of Migdash and seeing Hashem, Bishalish Regalim, and the three pilgrimage holidays, three times a year, all, all males should see the face of Hashem. There's only the bowing. That's the main thing of going up to the base of Migdash. It wasn't to bring a gift, it was for this experience. Because the Jew who came up to the temple on the to Yavayla Migdash would come to the base of Migdash Ba'azara in the courtyard. And over there he will bow down in front of God. The main objective of this whole mitzvah of three times a year going to the temple is to bow, and that's the main mitzvah. For whom mitzvah and that's the mitzvah of seeing. And everybody's obligated in this. And this bowing. And along with this, you brought a sacrifice, Ria. As it is known. And on this, Ria, it says, Don't see my face empty handed. What's the reason why this is so important, this bowing? And we have to do it three times in the year. You know, the idea is, every single Jew, it didn't make a difference. It's not only the great saintly people, tzaddikim, rabbis, scholars, whatever, that are in a sense spiritual, in a very, on a high spiritual level, that they can bow down and, and be completely nullified from all desire and all want. He says, it was by everybody. This is this every single Jew experienced this complete, this complete um, 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 nullification, or there's a better word for it. Um, no, no, that's right, no, no, uh, uh, no, 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 yeah, it's a, no, 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 I was looking for a different word. Okay, it's gonna come to me soon. Hanal um, uh, self-effacement. This type of ruts and this kind of effacement um, of all desire, because everybody is obligated in this. This bowing. He says, How is that possible? How can there be such a deep nullification? He's going to say soon that even angels don't have such a deep nullification. Even angels who are so spiritual don't have this type of of a total disintegration of any form of beingness, of self. They don't have it. And here we're saying that every single Jew, even someone who is not that religious or not that observant, if he would come to the Beis Amidash and would bow down, would be in this state. Even of the lesser um, of, of spiritual stature amongst the Jewish people. The answer is, as the sages say, the same way you came to see, you came to be seen, which means you're looking and Hashem is also looking at you. And when God is looking at you, it means when God is looking at you, it's like a person looks you in the eye. What does that mean? They are, they are projecting themselves right through your bones. 
And that's what God is doing. He's projecting his truth right through us. It was God's vision from up down, meaning looking at the person. What does that mean? There was a great... Um, um, there was a great um, uh, uh, illumination and a revelation of a godly light. Hashem is radiating. And when we say, here's a deep, a very amazing thing. What aspect of God was God revealing to the soul? Now God is multi, multi, multi-layered. Right? Hashem, is, Hashem lowers and lowers and diminishes His light as He gets closer to the creation. So when we say it's a godly revelation, it can be a, a relative one. He's rela- re- revealing to this person something, you know, of Hashem, something of Hashem's light. That's not what we're saying. It says, Hashem says, you're going to see my face. What does my face mean? Remember he says to Moshe Rabbeinu, you can't see my face, you can only see my back. So the face means the inside. Meaning as God truly is. Not as he, pro- as he manifests, as he truly is. And that's called the that's called the sovev kol alman, the inc- relative, of course. Even Moshe Rabbeinu didn't see the face, but yet God says, "Come see my face." So obviously, there's a difference in face itself. There are many, many levels, but at this level that Hashem displayed in the Beis Hamikdash, is enough to be called God's face and not God's back, which means God not as He is a professional, not God as He is in His professional self. God as he is in his true self. God as he is in his professional self, he is, he, is, he is a creator. When God is a creator and he acts like a creator, what does that tell you? If God says, I'm a creator, by that very, very notion, and in, 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 then, then for sure, but by, that means God is admitting that there is a creation. And that means he, that means he doesn't cancel us. That experience is not going to cancel us because how is he... A, if we don't exist, then, what may, then, 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 then what's the big deal of him being a creator? He's creating what? He's creating nothing. So therefore, God as a creator would not nullify our existence. A nullification of our existence as a result of divine revelation must mean that that which God is revealing to us is not God as a creator, but God as he is absolute truth. And God, as He is absolute truth, is to- infinitely beyond being a creator. And on that level, all of creation doesn't exist. The only thing that is, is God. That God allowed us to experience a snapshot of that. A moment of that truth passed through our psyche, from our head to our toe, as, as, we, as, we, be, as we bow down. This, this reality overtook the person. And that's what we experienced. It's from the innermost What does face mean? The innermost of the divine It's the godliness that's higher than all the worlds the Abiyah of the four worlds, Atzilus, Bri, Yatsir, and Asiyah. Hanikra Solvet Kalam, this is the called the encompassing light of Hashem. Ki Yedua, v'nizgala sham p'chenasa helem legili oyer, and Hashem removed the concealments, and He, and he, and he, and he, and he revealed Himself. V'hainu inyin riyas panim shalalikim, and this is what it means to see the face of God. V'hoyezeh, here it is, why was this happening? Meshim, the shame, kashem shabalirois, He says these words, I think are one of the most powerful words of the whole Mimer. Why is God projecting his, 
his truth, his reality to us is because we came to see him. And when we come to see, he, he comes out from his hidden, and, he, and, and when his servant comes to see him, he emerges from his, from his seclusion to reveal himself. And it wasn't only one servant, it was all of the Jewish people together, all congregating to see their king. So just like, as he says, as he says, this is similar to an analogy, of an a servant who comes to see his king, the king goes out from his secluded room, chamber, from his inner chamber, and he reveals himself to him. So therefore at the time when they came up to the base of Migdash, and they bowed down in the courtyard, the Jewish man had a miyad instantly, a godly light appeared to this person, from the innermost of the divine, and then this bowing, when you're looking, staring at God's truth, you automatically dissolve. You dissolve. Like happened by the giving of the Torah, that the Jewish people dissolved. Right? And this happened to every Jew. Here's the beauty. It doesn't make a difference who they are. Make a difference that the guy was a butcher, a tailor, a plumber. It didn't make a difference. Their level of, when you walked in, you wanted to see. God said, you want to see me? Here I am. And the reason why every Jew is able to, to experience this, and only a Jew, is because our souls are really a spark of the divine. We're a spark of God. And because we are a spark of God, we can be absorbed in His, in his reality and accept that and, and, and be part of that. His soul is a piece from God from above. As it says, Yaakov is the rope of his inheritance. And when the innermost of the godly light appeared to them, so inevitably they became bottle. A good example for that is, you have a big torch, you have a big blazing fire, you walk in with a little candle, and you put the little candle next to the blazing fire, the little candle is going to, you'll see, the candle is going to start pulling, like gravitating towards the fire. Get it a little closer, it's going to pull even more. The, the candle is going to start going sideways because it feels the big fire. Put it a little closer, and at a certain point, the flame is going to disappear because the flame is just going to melt into the larger fire. God is the big, the Shechina dwelling down here is that big blaze. Every Jew is a candle. When the Jewish soul would walk into the Beis Amigdash and get closer to the fire, at a certain point, the flame, the candle did not exist anymore independently. It became part of that fire. Now, if we're not Jewish, or if we would be an angel, an angel or anybody that's, anything else but the Jewish soul, this is true, anything else but the Jewish soul is not a, is not a fire. Meaning to say, it's not, a, it's not part of the divine reality. It's a creation, not part of the divine reality. And therefore, if you take anything that's not fire, 
and you put it into a fire, what's, what's going to happen? It's not going to join the fire. It's gonna, it is going to join the fire. It's going to join the fire by being destroyed by the fire. Fire is going to destroy it, and that's how it's going to become the fire. If God reveals himself to any creature, including an angel, as he truly is, God will obliterate that angel. With the soul, it's not that way. When God reveals himself to the soul, the soul just is absorbed in that reality and it doesn't get destroyed. Just like the only thing that's not destroyed in a fire is a flame. The flame is not destroyed by it, the flame becomes one with it. And that's the beauty, that's why God, the only ones who God can communicate himself to, the only ones who can get him, like God, like you say, you, you want to be with someone, can you, can you get me? The only one who gets God, who really relates to him as he truly is, is only a soul. Because a soul can accept God's truth. And what's God's truth? He is and there's none but him. And the soul is able to accept that. And exist in that non-existent state. The angel will get destroyed in that non-existent state. And there's no angel anymore. The non-Jew couldn't either handle it. It's only the Jewish soul that had that ability because we are children of God, which means we are really Him, but we become separated to feel ourselves, to make believe we're not Him. So we, we are not Him as long as we make believe. He, and He keeps us... But as soon as He stops making believe and He reveals Himself, oh, so we're Him. And we become Him. We stop being ourselves, we become Him. Now, as he says, uh, as he gives an example, in a small fire, in front of a large, in front of a large torch, it becomes absorbed in the big fire, and it becomes unified, is drawn after the big fire, of the blaze, this is the main reason. This is the main reason why we, we're commanded to come see God three times a year. So that every single Jew should have an opportunity to become absorbed in the source from where he has been excavated. And the living God, and the God of the, and the King of the world. Through the revealed shechina that the person will see. Sheyira Hashem Panov, that Hashem will see his face. When the person ascends over there, we're holding on the top of the second column on page 552. To bow down in front of Hashem. The Keshem Shebalira is just like you come to see, you come to be seen. Why do you have to go three times a year? And why do we go three times a year? Dafka. Ha'inyan, who the idea is, because definitely, l'chol ishmi Yisrael, every single Jew, gam shuhut tzaddik, even if a person is a tzaddik, every person, no matter, even if he's a big tzaddik, you can't maintain total nullification. As long as we're living in a body, the body keeps on pulling us into, into beingness, into separation. That's just the reality. Even if you're a tzaddik and you're really, really aware of God, the body has a, the earth, the earthiness pulls you down. And subtly you become a little bit more self-conscious. 
and then a little more self-conscious. And even the biggest tzaddik has a struggle with that consciousness. He might be a little bit aware of self when he's doing a mitzvah and the like. So what is it? So therefore, we can't maintain this truth and live with the truth all the time because our body, our body distracts us. So that's why we need to keep on going back, keep on going back for a reminder. We have to keep on going back to re-experience the truth, so that we, even when we leave, we can still remember that. Even at tzaddik, shi'avelachal Everybody's going to come to some bit of a separation. Even when someone serves God with complete mesiris nefesh, this all the time. And there's no revelation of shechina. Watch it pull you back. You're living in uh, wherever you're living. It's not going to, you're living in Paris. Where is, where is, the, the, where is God going to pull you back? To pull you back into the unity. So the only place you can be pulled back into that truth is by exposing yourself to the truth of God, which you did in the Beis Hamikdash, b'shalish regalim and the three regalim, b'makom Beis Hamikdash in the place of the Beis Hamikdash. Adashem esibas oitzem as achtus oz, because the intense unification that happens then, b'ishtachvo as we bow down, kibitol aner b'fnei avuka like a flame being. Uh, consumed by a big blazing fire canal, every Jew was able to maintain this unification for all year long, that he would not fall into separation. And three times in the year, three times in the year, the Jewish person would receive this, this vision. And this was enough to imprint this for the whole year, and with that measurement, this sufficed, that they should not get, they shouldn't drift away. And the reason, why three times? See, just like this is happening down here in the physical world, this is also happening in the supernal realms up there. The source of all of our souls is the Shekhinah. The source, but, and the Shekhinah is the source of the creation. Above that is HaKadosh Baruch Hu, God Himself. The Shekhinah also needs to experience exposure of HaKadosh Baruch Hu from time to time. Or else the Shekhinah also becomes separated from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So three times a year there is a union above, and as the unification happens above in the supernal realms, and it, it, it translates down here also. And that's why three times a year is when, is when, when we do that. And that's why we say, That's why we say we cannot do this. Even though we can bow ourselves down, even if we really want to dissolve. And we say, you know what, Hashem, you're real and I'm fake and you're the MS and I want to be bottled to you. But we can't. And even when we're doing it in a true way, it can't compare 
to when we are doing it, to when God is, imp- is, is impressing it upon us by Him revealing Himself upon us. We can only prepare ourselves, Bilvad, but we cannot affect that God should reveal Himself to us. In other words, what he's saying is we can meditate and meditate and make ourselves into a vessel that God should do it. He might do it, he might not do it. It's possible that it will happen to a person, but it can happen maybe once in a lifetime, maybe. It's either yeah, no, hit or miss. Because we're only making the preparation for it. But when you went to the Beis Amigdash, over there it happened, because that was the place where it was meant to happen. All you needed to do was walk in there and bow down, and this truth overtook you. That should cause this bittel, like a flame, become nullified in front of the in front of the blaze. This couldn't happen only in the base of Migdash. Beshalish regalim dafke in the three pilgrimage yamim toivim canal. Shahayisham giluish china beyoiser. There was a, a, a lot of giluish china. The imkain, and if so, kemoisha einana yechaylem laalois veliraois. Since we're not able to go up and to see, meshum shenestalcha hayad, because there is a hand that destroyed the base of Migdash. We can't bow either. We cannot accomplish this. Since we can't go up, we can't bow. Here's a beautiful thing. Even though we can't accomplish it to the fullest extent, when we go to shul, and we daven with a minion in a shul, and we bow, somewhat of this, a little bit of it, does happen. A little bit. A tiny little bit. From that light that revealed itself during the times of Yomim Toivim at the Beis HaMikdash, Nish'ara Gam Achshav remains now as well. Bechol in every Beis HaKnesses, or Beis HaMedrash, and in every study hall. Kemoshakasav, as it says, I'm going to be for you a small Beis HaMikdash, a miniature Beis HaMikdash. When we bow down during prayer, Ba'asara, when there are ten people there, Ta'akol Asara, Shechin whenever there are ten, the Shechina dwells, Ubechol Chad V'chad L'fum Shi'uridalei. So every person, according to his Preparation in the base of Migdash, it really didn't make a difference who, what, where, and when. You came to the base of Migdash, the revelation was so powerful, it impacted everybody. Since in a shul, it's far more subtler, it's not as, it's very hidden. So then it depends. If you make a strong preparation and you learn Hasidus before davening, and then you meditate, and then you daven with Kavana, then when you bow down, you can merit that there should be that projection. At least. Somewhat. Shir Dalem is Gala Elav. But what he's saying is like this it's not only us trying, there is actually a reciprocation from above. When we try, and it's a minion, you need to have 10 Jews there, and it has to be in a shul. What happens then? Ms. Gala Olav Oireliki. The godly light does reveal itself upon a person. When you bow down during prayer, in a shul, because the little bit of that which was in the base of Migdash, a little bit of it, it is remained. The external of the external of that light. Midrash. 
That's why every Jew can reach complete nullification when they come to Davin. When you bow down, because it's only over there is where you're going to have the candle being, being absorbed in the blaze. You see, if you're not davening in shul, if you're davening privately at home, there is no blaze over there because the shechina is not openly manifest there. So therefore, even when you're a candle that wants to be nullified, you can't, be nullif- you can't nullify yourself. You can't come to self-effacement completely. But if you're in a shul, so by the merit of having 10 Jews there, and by the merit that God says that I missed the Beis Amigdash, so whenever you're going to designate a place, I'm going to somehow also come there, albeit in a, in a, lesser, in a lesser pronounced way. It's not going to be so strong, but I am going to be there. So when we come in a shul, and we daven, and we bow down, we can at least partially experience this. And with this we'll understand the answer. Now we'll understand the answer to the angels. When the angels said, what is a human being? Here's the beauty. Angels were saying, what's the human being? What's the human being? And, the, and, and so a human being has a physical body. And the physical body, as we said before, is all over the place. You know, today he's making, he's, he's trying to be a good Jew, tomorrow he's sinning. He's back and forth. Okay, but you know what? When, uh, that's the body. But the source of the person's nishmasa adam, the person has a soul. Which is a piece of God from above. In the in the neshama, in the soul, the Abishter wants, see, God's desire in creation was that Mitzias should accept non Mitzias. Let me translate that. Somebody who's a somebody should accept the reality that God is the only reality. In other words, he wants to create somebody. And he wants to share himself with that somebody. But he wants it to be in a somebody. He didn't have to create it, that it's just himself. But that's not satisfying to him. He wants there should be a somebody. And then that somebody should accept that really there's only one somebody, and that is God, and everything else is nullified. So where is that, where is that accomplished? In souls itself, the souls are not a somebody. Angels who, ha- who are a somebody, because they have a, a, a soul, they can't accept the truth. Because the moment they accept the truth, they're out. They're burnt. They're gone. They can't live with this truth. The only ones who can live with this truth are souls when they're in bodies. When they're in bodies, they are a somebody. Yet, because of their neshama, they're able to accept God's MS and be totally bundled. So Hashem shared His truth with somebody who can handle Him. Only the neshamas. Angels, He can't share His truth because they burst, they, they blow a fuse if He reveals Himself to them. Souls in heaven, they're not a somebody. As we said before, they are identityless. But when a soul is in a body, you have the beingness of the body that creates beingness. And that being becomes nullified into non-beingness in the Beis Amigdash. And God has revealed Himself to somebody else. 
because souls are able to dissolve in their source when they've been excavated. My, my firstborn Israel. And a child is the leg of his father. The Malachim are not able to do it. To become like a flame in a blaze, because they're like paper in a blaze, not like a flame in a blaze. And that's why Dafka, by the building of the base of Migdash David of Melech, Olav Shalom said, You did not let my enemies rejoice over me. Shehena Malachim, we're holding on the top of page Reishai and Zion. These are the Malachim canal. Because the bowing of everybody was only in the Beis Amigdosh, Metama now, as we said earlier, and that Malachim cannot do. I, the Malachim, have a complaint, and they're saying, you know what? Um, we have a body. No, and they're saying the Jewish people have. You're right, the Jewish soul is very special. But what's with the Jewish body? The body is a body. And the body is not in the program. He's no, the contrary. That makes it so exciting by God that even someone in such a body, where the body is such a. takes itself so seriously, should be able to transcend himself completely and accept, and accept God's truth that God is. A. Egotistical, egocentric, narcissistic, ridiculous body that knows only of, of itself should be able to come to bow down in the base of Middash and accept ultimate truth. And God sees that as pretty cool. And He doesn't get that with the angels at all. And quite on the contrary, when angels come down in bodies, they become corrupted like crazy. But the soul is able to share its, its knowledge and its truth that it knows with even the body and bring the body along in the bowing. That's the real cool thing. Take how great these souls are. By the angels, when they come into bodies, they, they, they fell down and they corrupted the whole world with them. They became too materialistic in the bodies. And guess what? I love this next line. To the Jewish soul, the body doesn't do any damage. The Jewish soul can handle a body. Angels can't hide it. They can only handle their bodies. They can't handle our bodies. The soul is so powerful that it can carry along such a chunky body and yet bring the body also along into the truth of Hashem. It's able to come it can, it can bring along the body into this nullification. And the reason is because this, the only one who can do this is God. And souls are a piece of God. This is, this is the impossible. And souls are able to do it because they're one with Him. Because a child is the leg of the Father, we're still Him. Now, the second half of the discourse, which we are going to leave for next week. It's a long mimer. The second half of this discourse is going to explain. So, this is 
what Beis Amikdash is. This is what the, why the, the human being is so desirable and the angels are not the purpose of creation. He's going to explain how this was all created. How, how this was, like, when was this established? In order to establish this at the beginning, we needed something very powerful. And that was the song that was made by King David, David HaMelech, the song of the angels together with the song of the souls and the song of the human beings. Because true, once God came down and made his residence over here, we bow down and we have that whole experience. But there needed to be something super attractive at the beginning to cause that to happen, for God to manifest down here. Similar to what we learned a few weeks ago when David HaMelech put the Kohanim to sing instead of the Levites to sing. The mimer, these two mimerim go very, very much. And I don't know why this year we, we chose, and by divine providence, we're learning so much about bringing the Shekhinah down for the first time. Could be because we're preparing for the third temple. And we have to learn this, because this, if, this is the, uh, what's necessary. And we talk, spoke about the, yes. 